So I've been um, reflecting about how much um, monastic life is really uh, about learning and uh, how um, for myself uh, and those of you who are who've listened to some of my talks, there's often a sense of um, I just broke the clock. Um, you know the the learning that can come from making mistakes, and um, so I'm sitting here right now, and I don't know if any of you notice I'm the only one without this, um, other than Summoner Hamako, this robe that goes over my shoulder, because as I got back to my seat and then was listening to art, I realized oh I'm partially naked or what it feels like. And so the, the experience is, because when we, we, ha- we have these pujas or then give a talk, then we have this, this third robe that we wear. And that's actually uh, something that's done, uh, as far as I know, more in, in our sangha. Uh, and um, when I was staying at Wat Metta, Ajahn Jeff actually asked, he said, oh, do you, you guys actually use those things? Um, so it's, it's interesting because it's not, you know, it's not a, uh, absolute requisite or in something like this, there's teachings when we don't, we wouldn't even have it, have it on. But in terms of, of using that as a teaching, then is it, oh, I can't believe it. I left that in the office. Unbelievable. Senior monk now in the monastery, can't even remember his sangati. Or do I, you know, there's there's many ways to to kind of examine that or think about it. But is it is it more just about learning, right? Oh, how did that happen? You know, I took it off and put my robe back on and then forgot it. Telling so like, oh, what? A, that's just a. I'm such a terrible monk. You know, how many years I've been a monk and can't even remember something like that. Or is it just the experience of, of, you know, what's it like to have made a mistake? What's it like to have uh, just found oneself in, in, in terms of doing something that um, seems quite silly or, or something that um, I might have told another monk, oh, you forgot your sangati. And so what, what we often find ourselves uh, in the middle of is, is self-recrimination or, or a sense of this is all about me, this is mine, this is my experience, this is what's wrong with me, uh, I have to get better, I have to do something about this, never let this happen again. But it's really not a big deal, I'm not even sure if anybody in the room even noticed that. So we, we pick it up and we and we... A role with these kind of thoughts and uh, beliefs about ourselves, these a sense of uh, who and what I am, you know, just based on something we wear or or some way we've forgotten something. And of course, there are there are lots of um, good things that I can see in my own mind, but I find that the real learning comes from from. Uh, being willing to kind of examine just how the mind responds to the difficulties in, in life. Um, 
and how they come up and, and how, how one can kind of utilize that for one's own understanding of Dhamma. So a couple of things that uh, came up recently. Um, I mean, more than the past couple of minutes uh, were just these, uh, the, the trip that we went on to Yosemite, that's something that I was I was thinking about and what the usefulness of that was, how helpful that was. Um, but not in terms of necessarily the, you know, how wonderful and incredible, but just the, the, the difficulties that uh, I faced uh, when I was there. And then another uh, incident that later occurred that's been quite alive in my mind. And so I think I'll, those things are just coming to mind right now about how I can use those for a reflection. But just to speak chronologically, um, Yosemite came first. And so some of you know that um, a group of us went to Yosemite for a week and um, we were sort of testing out our our wilderness skills, um, just living outside, living very basically. And... What I what I remember most is uh, when I've been on these these trips before to go to Yosemite. It was always like, oh, it's amazing! It's the most incredible place I've I've been to in terms of just the beauty and the uh, the grandeur of of um, the particular area that we stay in. And I recognized, wow. Um, I forgot about all the hardships, all of the the difficulties that one faces, and and they're not they weren't extreme, but it's just interesting how that's what the mind remembers. Like, oh, it's so beautiful and amazing there, and it's such a nice trip, and there's lots of camaraderie and harmony and learning, um, just all enjoyment. But that's not you know that's not a lot of of what it was. It was it was really working with the mind in in um, difficult conditions and keeping the mind buoyed and um, and as I said it wasn't I would say like sort of relatively difficult uh, it wasn't like we were in a war-torn country um, but just you know how to how to how to sort of rise to something like um, it's just completely freezing um, and uh, and one has to get out of one's sleeping bag and uh, get dressed, you know, the robes on and put on multiple layers, get ready, and then and then several, a couple hours later, take those layers off and, um, and just being with, uh, being with the cold, being with that unpleasant experience. It's just, it's just so raw and one is able to, to, to see that and what I find is is interesting is like living in a monastery, you can kind of figure out how to make it quite comfortable. It's very easy to uh, live, especially at a Baigiri, I find, um, or even in, in austere conditions uh, in certain monasteries. That's where the mind can go to. It can go to comfort, you know, my likes, how I enjoy my particular kuti or um, the the way that I can make it so that it's not so uh, 
hot here, for example, during the summer. How to avoid how to avoid discomfort. How to avoid um, dealing with with dukkha. And this is something that most of us can can ask ourselves. You know, what is it that is often masked with our experience, or how often do we really look towards our own experience of um, of comfort and and uh, finding that comfort? So, like uh, you know, at Yosemite, we were we had to bring up our own water from a, a river. Uh, it wasn't very often. You had just like running water. You didn't have warm water. Um, we didn't often. I mean, it, it wasn't. It took some effort to actually wash your hands. Um, you know, to to uh, the particular campsite we had didn't have any uh, working toilets or anything like that. So then it was just it was just in a pit, which is my, much like it is in the monastery here for our kutis. But um, we have nice covers and we have little latches that open, and uh, it's flat and easy to use. All these things, there, you know, they sort of disappear in the wilderness. And so we're, we're left with, with very raw experiences and inconveniences. And so just, I think for all of us, I, uh, I'm guessing, uh, it was just that, that sense of really watching that in the mind, watching really um, what happens when we put ourselves in a situation that's quite different from, from how we normally live. And for those guests who are coming to Abhayagiri, and especially those who are new to staying here, that's another thing that you're doing. You know, there is a risk in coming here, especially if one's never been here, and experiencing the the difficulties of um, living alone, um, not having as many modern conveniences, especially the cell signal is quite weak around here, so then people have to deal with... Um, not having as much access to technology. Um, there are unknowns. People don't really know what they're, what they're going to do each day, how it's going to unfold. Some expected that we would have uh, pujas uh, the last couple of weeks, and we haven't, we haven't had those. Um, had a, a more open schedule, and then how does the mind deal with that? So... It, we, we can often put ourselves in these um, uncomfortable situations and then we really have the opportunity at that point to, to look at that and to, to use that as an examination of our own minds, our habits, our tendencies, what we tend to do and what's skillful or unskillful. So that's one of the, one of the things that um, I think I was recently asked about, like, well, what's, what's really been a quality that's that's um, changed over over the years of being a monk, and that's that's one thing that's quite interesting. So I'd say it's that like, oh yeah, using the painful and the difficult as really a mechanism for um, opening the mind to uh, to change, and but also to recognizing peace and um, understanding, and then really seeing how essentially like. It's very easy to see, like, oh, this is the the tendency I have to get myself into trouble in a particular situation or whatever. So while we were on the um, the camping trip, 
I could see a, there was a there was some comfort um, allowables, we'll say, comfort tonics in the evening. Though we were m- many of us were we we were uh, hiking long distances during the day. But of course, what do you do when you're camping in America? You have s'mores, and uh, so this was quite an exciting event for us. Um, with, except that you can't quite have s'mores because you get graham crackers uh, in the afternoon. So, but what are allowed are marshmallows and chocolate. Um, so there were many creative ways to try to have that without it falling into the fire, and uh, and then just seeing like that was that was the kind of that's where the mind would go in terms of like seeking satisfaction or some sort of happiness one could glean off of um, some sort of difficult experiences. In the first two days. I will probably remember, oh, it was absolutely fantastic trip. It was wonderful. The first two days, it was like we were eating breakfast in the rain, like just cold rain on like, and the, the um, Max and RJ and Art were like, they were really into cooking uh, something for breakfast. So we were, they were trying to cook in the rain. And then uh, I remember like, okay, they, they, they made, you know, I don't remember what it was, something with egg, you know, egg sandwich and and whatever, and um, and it was raining, and this was like the only warm thing we had. So, like, all right, the food's ready, and so we we went and um, we all started our receiving the food and taking the food, and then of course our impropriety showed up when Ajinyaniko came five minutes into that and said, "What? You started eating already?" And so there was that, oh, right, well, it was warm food. How could we resist, you know? It's getting cold now, you better eat. So there, you know, there was just that that kind of seeing into, like, how we would how we would react to situations, how we dealt with that. Um, and uh, those first days of just, yeah, really cold weather and, and a lot of rain, it was, it was hard to motivate oneself. Um, and... Uh, coming out of a tent for a little bit, and then it would just start raining again. And so this is, the, this is sort of the, the testing of the, the monastic life in many ways. I found it just so useful to, to really see how much I take for granted in the monastery, how easy it is to have comfort. And most of you can see this just in your own homes, if you live in homes, um, or this monastery that, you know, uh, by Giri is just... Uh, I don't want to say it's luxurious, but you know it's it's quite it's quite uh, it's quite a nice place to live, and um, one can feel very spoiled. In the earlier years, in uh, 1996 um, to 2000, it was it was pretty rough here. There there just weren't many things available. There was this Dhamma hall wasn't here. I mean, there was nothing here. This was just dirt, and. Uh, there was just this old kind of grungy house um, and a garage, and that slowly started to be picked up. Uh, I was telling Summoner Hamako when we were walking to the fries, they had some fry vineyards. That, they had a structure where it was just some bent PVC. I think it was put into rebar at the bottom and then bent over. And, and I, I, I think that's what the first, one of the first kutis was called the bender, which is now the view kuti, which is a very nice kuti. But that site used to be called the Bender site before it was the view. 
and uh, it was just a bunch of bent PVC with a, a tarp thrown over it. And that's, that's a kuti. So there weren't many monastics here those first five years. It was a bit too rough. Um, and now there's lots of monastics. And uh, so we have, to, we have to push ourselves a little bit in situations. And so I'm, I'm, I quite admire, um, I don't tend to do this myself, admittedly, but uh, several of the monks will spend the summer outside just voluntarily will live in a tent, or they won't live in a tent. They'll just sleep out in the open. Um, or they'll have just a, a simple, what's called a gloat, like an umbrella with a... Um, like a uh, insect um, screen, or a uh, mosquito screen, fly screen, just a, something that, that protects them from insects. And that's it. That's just it out in the elements. And so every now and again, someone will put, oh, I heard something last night. You know, it's, or there was a bear. People will sometimes see bears or very rarely a mountain lion. Um, more commonly like a snake. And, and this is, yeah, this is really, really putting oneself um, in danger. But it's kind of the right kind of danger. It's, uh, it's like just enough. So it's not living, it's not going and finding, you know, a beehive and so oh, what's can what's it like to sleep in a in a, a hornet's nest or around a hornet's nest or exposing oneself to something kind of ridiculous like that. But it's yeah, it's sort of just just enough to kind of put oneself out in terms of experiencing the elements, um, the cold, but also mostly the extreme heat that occurs at a baikiri. And so this is this is sort of the the challenge that we we can have with ourselves sometimes, you know. It's it's hard to say like what's it like to not have running water, and we've had for the last uh, week uh, not drinkable water available so much, and so then it's like when's this water going to be turned back on? When can I just drink out of the taps again? And it's just that kind of sense of like right, these are just modern conveniences we have they're not they're not a given so we can we can try to come back to that sense of like what's it like to just accept the root of a tree as as a dwelling place to not necessarily have drinkable water wherever we want it sometimes the clothes we wear the robes for the monastics they're they're not exactly what we want or they're getting shabby, they're kind of getting falling apart. Um, we want them to last longer or be a different color or whatever it might be. So the, during the trip, it was another example of that. It was just kind of, wow, things are getting dirty. And uh, I, I had brought my work sabong, so I was using that, and man, it was just falling apart, ripping every day. And the trouble with with an experience in a life where this isn't really challenged, where we don't look at this, is that we can just surround ourselves with comfort and conveniences, and then there's really, um, yeah, we don't really see anything bad with kind of our our existence or experience. We just mask our suffering 
over and over again. And we go to great lengths, sometimes great lengths to do that. Um, and so people who, who tend towards that, they, they will often wonder, like, why would somebody ever live um, voluntarily in, in situations where life's more difficult? It, does, it doesn't make sense to someone. They don't see that uh, when you're taking something for, uh, for granted, you're, taking, uh, you're sort of creating a whole life of comfort, um, you're just really hiding that sense of, like, of what's, what's inevitable. You know, we're going to lose this body. We're going to lose our faculties, our abilities to even eat uh, with our own hands, to swallow, to remember our, our loved ones. These aren't always going to happen to everyone, but they, they usually happen to most people. You know, sometimes people will die with most of their faculties. And, um, but, but we will be separated and we will lose this life. And so when, when we're not really putting ourselves on the line, um, then we're, you know, we're not, we're, we're just hiding essentially. And there's not a lot of learning that's going on. Because it is possible to just fill one's life with enormous amounts of comfort. And, and just never really look clearly into that. One of the monastics who was, um, who was on the trip had a, uh, a fear of a particular animal. Um, and really, that was very strong for him. And yet, he's one of the ones who, who sleeps out at night at a Baigiri. And has seen that when, when, he, when he... There was one time when he was talking about that he was actually exposed to this animal. There was, there was a sense of it uh, being around. I think that's what the, what the story was. And, and then it was just like a lot of terror, you know, a lot of terror. But then, but then that was completely turned around because we can use something like that to wake ourselves up and to create a lot of um, the exact op- opposite, you know, happiness. This is all that I have left. Maybe just one day and then I'm going to be eaten. And so then we don't, we don't take for granted uh, our, our lives. So when we're, you know, when we, when we really try to bring this into our own minds, you know, our own frailties and, uh, you know, the, the sort of potentials that we have, we, we, we can live a lot more fully and more presently. And, and then the Dhamma becomes much more active, much more uh, interesting to us. Something that we, we know we don't have that much time left to, to really use or to contemplate. So there, um, there is an enormous amount of benefit in just trying to go without in certain ways. You know, do I really need this thing? Do I have to have this thing? Um, you know, maybe there's, there's something offered that we want to, to have, and we just say, oh, no, I'm going to see what it's like not to have that. And then we watch our minds. 
And I'd say that's, that's a helpful thing to do every day. Just at least see one desire that you have and, and say, okay, I'm not going to move towards that. I'm going to actually move towards the experience of learning and seeing what that's like. And that's the difference between somebody who's practicing the Dhamma and someone who's not. Because they would say, that's ludicrous, that's crazy. Why would I want to deny myself something that I have access to? Why would I not want to experience pleasure all the time? And so, uh, again, like being on a, uh, the Yosemite trip, it, it really helped, helped me quite a bit. The, um, I was trying to cultivate metta towards the mosquitoes because, um, of course, the Yosemite trip's great. There's no mosquitoes. Um, I don't think that's ever happened. But um, in my mind, it, I didn't remember these killer mosquitoes that were after us and the... Uh, I've never experienced mosquitoes like dive bombing me and hitting me very hard before they before they then tried to 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 suck on my blood. But then it you know it really became like how 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 can I deal with that? What's the I mean for one moment I was walking around with my um with a shirt over my head. So I dealt with it. But then it but then it it was interesting to see like oh actually it's not it's just not that bad, is it? mosquito bites, and it doesn't have to be a problem. doesn't have to ruin our day. I've noticed that, uh, for example, with mosquitoes, my own tendency is to to more be in agony about what's going to happen. You know, it's sort of painful when they bite, but uh, what's going to happen 30 minutes from now? It's going to be so itchy and unpleasant. And that's the dukkha, right? It's not even itchy in this moment. It's just now there's there's suffering because it's going to be bad. And then when we turn that around, it's, okay, these are, uh, as I understand it, it's only female um, mosquitoes that bite, and they're preparing for their own pregnancy. So they okay. You know, may they be happy. May they have a good pregnancy. And, uh, but I hope they don't breed a lot of other mosquitoes that bite me. But there it is then, setting up a condition. So there's like, oh, okay, yeah. Birth is dukkha. You know, being pregnant is dukkha. Having, I don't know, what is it, millions of mosquitoes? That must be a lot. Lots of eggs. So the, there we, you know, we can try, try to turn our minds around rather than just make it all about my pleasantness, what's good for me, um, how am I going to benefit from, from this, from a, a level of the sense world. So that, that, that's, uh, I would just encourage that in, in, uh, in all of us, just to, to try to see, like, what's it like to, to relinquish, let go of something. Or, you know, you know, before you go wash your hands, when you're doing something, except in the kitchen, that's not very safe, but... Uh, but in a situation, you might like, oh, I just want to, I really, my hands are really dirty. I just want to wash them. It's okay, but what's it like when I don't have water? I can't wash my hands. And then you, you walk around for an hour like, ah, oh, these dirty hands. I really don't like them. Um, but you watch that dukkha. You see it arise and cease. 
And that's the, that's the benefit, that's the learning that comes. And so we also get to see like, oh, actually, maybe I don't, maybe I don't need um, to wash my hands all the time, or maybe I don't need to um, have this particular requisite, this food or this tonic or whatever it might be. One of the, um, I remember uh, when Ajahn Sanyama was here, he, he described a monk who, in Thailand, who would come in, that there would be something offered in the evening, like a, a little, um, just like some candies or something or whatever, or something. And, and he would see this monk come in. He was like, you know, he'd been a monk about 30 years, I think. And he would come in and he'd, he'd go look at the tray and then he'd come over and he'd, he'd take the most, the least desirable, the thing that nobody else wanted, and he would kind of just take one of them and he'd walk away. And just and and I think he tended to see that behavior a lot in this monk, and it's quite it's quite interesting to see that like being satisfied with little, being satisfied with sort of the least thing, rather than um, for for example, like what what happens in our minds when we walk through the meal line? Is it like oh my gosh, that's my favorite? I don't think anybody'd mind if I took more than my share, you know, or or whatever you know, comes up. Or I was saying today at the tea time, like, you have two apples and you're feeling generous, so you give your friend an apple. So oh, I want you to have this apple. But then your friend notices that the apple you gave him is a lot smaller than the apple you kept for yourself. And so we can see that in our mind, and, and we, when, if, we, if we are able to notice that, because that's what we're taught to really see in our own experience, like, well, I am holding on to something, am I willing to give it up? And that's honoring the sense of learning first because it's painful, isn't it? When you really want something, you don't want to give it up. You want to take it for yourself. But then, as the Buddha talks about, you, you wouldn't hesitate to give if you, if you saw the benefit. And so then when that giving occurs, there is a feeling of like happiness that arises out of that. But we might focus on the like, oh, I really wanted that bigger apple. Um, and not see that that happiness that comes from giving, but we do have to train our minds to to focus on that and to see that, so that we encourage ourselves in the wholesome, just to to continue to be able to give in that way. And that's what uh, chaga is slightly different than dana, which is dana is just sort of more that that sense of giving, but chaga is sense of giving up. So you're giving up what you want for yourself. There was a moment like uh, when we were we were in two different vehicles, and Ajahn Saik came to me, and, and he he he's a monk who rarely expresses preferences, and he was in the truck, and I was in the van, and we were sort of these were our designated spots. It sometimes works out that way. I don't know why, but it happens. So I was always in the van, and then he said, "Oh, do you want to?" He opened up the back of the truck which I was confused about because I didn't understand did he want me to go with him and I said and I and I and I thought oh um are do you want to go into the the van and and he just motioned for me to go into the truck and I and I and then I said and then he said oh no no and then he 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 said no 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 don't worry about it 
and I realized that I didn't want to go into the truck. <laughs> and there was a part of me that was not wanting to understand him until I then realized the training from, uh, and I've mentioned this to um, a couple of the, the residents here, the training in Thailand. It's not a training, it's just their culture. Is you, you, don't, you don't half-heartedly do something. So something clicked in my mind to recognize Ajahn Sake wants to go in the van and he's, he's suggesting that I go in the truck. But he's doing it in a very, like, very kind of um, almost, you know, I had to kind of figure out, like, oh, well, he, he wants to go in the van. And then as soon as I recognized that, I could see, no, I don't want to do this. And then I just immediately went and I said, Ajahn Sake, please go into the van. And he's, oh, no, 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 it's no problem. And then I started to take his things out and put it where my seat was in the van. And I was so proud of myself <laughs> for not only understanding him, but just knowing, like, okay, like, just let go, let go of that slight preference. And as soon as it happened, then it, it just felt so good um, because I got him set up and then I grabbed water and I, I, I made it so he knew that I was, I was actually not just um, taking, I was insisting on it. And it's really, it's really uh, helpful to, to have moments like that because often I could see it have gone the other way, the easier way. I, I don't want to go in the truck, I want to go in the van. And that's just where the mind leads. It's like, oh, I don't kind of understand. <laughs> I don't understand you. But that's not true. So um, the thing is, is if I hadn't have done that, then I wouldn't have felt that the goodness that came out of that and how beneficial it was just to kind of be in there. And, and then I, I talked to Art for the next, like, four or five hours, and he thanked me for keeping him awake. Um, so... This is, you know, this is our sort of what we're our encouragement is to step out of our our shell, step out of our our comfort zones, and to to be willing to kind of rise up and say like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I don't want to do. Um, I'm gonna, you know, practice in this way that's more difficult rather than finding the easier, uh, comfortable way out of this. So the uh, I think one of the other things that uh, came up this week, and so this is on a different tract, um, although it has some similarities. But it was it was uh, I came up against something that I found was very surprising to me, although not too surprising. But um, it was a decision that was made about uh, some material requisite in the monastery was purchased, and I. I had already kind of given my sort of sort of I was involved in it in terms of having asked for it to be purchased for the monastery. Of course, thus I had an idea of what it should be like, what this thing should be like, and how it should be. Um, and uh, I guess I, I won't skirt the issue. It's this trailer that we just bought, and uh, I was told uh, by one of the people who was purchasing it, "Look, if if I'm going to go." deal with this responsibility then you need to let me do that you know i need to kind of you need to kind of give up if you or you have to be okay with my decision I'm like, oh yeah 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 it's fine um and that was interesting because 
it was just, it was a complete statement of ignorance. It was, it's fine because you're going to get exactly what I wanted you to get. And, and that's what, what was apparently in my mind. Because then what came back was what I didn't want. And that was surprising how, how at first it was okay. There was a lot of discussion. Okay, yeah, okay, we'll try to work it out. Compromise of how to deal with it. But then things changed very quickly the next day when there was actually no, you're wrong, <laughs> and we're gonna you know we're gonna keep the trailer. It's fine. And then what came out of that was just pretty intense anger, um, and for several reasons. But again, um, not having had that experience for a long time, uh, I just I just then used that for contemplation over and over again you know what what was happening there how did that occur um you know first first off there was miscommunication i didn't i didn't even recognize in myself that i you know what what was i not going to be comfortable with what was i not going to be happy with what was i what were my opinions what were my views rather than um what it was was just believing in in nietzsche permanence in other words, like um, knowing, I know it's going to be this way. I know it's going to be fine, or it's going to be what I want, or there was enough communication to, have, and there wasn't. And so when it came out differently, then what arose was just an extreme frustration of desire. And that's what we tend to deal with in ourselves. Our desire is frustrated. I want this. No, you can't have it. And so. Um, Again, like it, 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 it's such a, a rich ground for for um, examination when we get really thrown around by our defilements. We get thrown around by something that's emotionally very difficult for us, beaten up by it in a way, and we do things that we we normally wouldn't do. We say things we normally wouldn't say. We think things we normally wouldn't think, um, and on it goes. And so, what? What can happen without the Dhamma is it's just like I want to get as far away from my um, unpleasant experience as possible. So I don't want to look at why I feel this way. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to think about it. I'm just going to let time heal its wounds and uh, hold a grudge and harp on it in my mind. Um, And that'll be how I fix things. But that's not, again, that's not honoring the, the Dhamma. That's not holding it up. Um, so what it is is to to just see like okay I'm I am responsible for uh, my own reactions and I'm responsible for how um, I deal with them um, and what when I can't see something coming then that's something that's incredibly helpful to try to learn about because that that I am ultimately also responsible for when I'm not seeing clearly that there's something that there's that anusaya, there's something lurking underneath the surface. So there was that potential um, to become upset about something. And of course, the normal circumstances then occurred later. It was like a few days later, it was like, well, actually, I don't really care that much about this. It's not, it's really not that important. But the, the, the question is how to, how to have that set up beforehand. So um, 
I don't have to think about this quote that uh, I can't. I can't remember who actually said it, but it was um, "Speak out of anger, and you will make the best speech you will ever regret." And it's just so true, isn't it? You know, you you give in to some feeling of of anger, or frustration with somebody, and if you don't hold yourself in check, you don't see that defilement clearly within yourself. You own that. Then there's a lot. There's a lot more regret than just feeling it. You know, we act upon it. And then we say something that's unskillful. So with the Dhamma, then what happens is we recognize with wisdom the next time this has happened before. And we use that sense of restraint. We use that sense of like, okay, I need to give this up. I need to give up my my sense of, of uh, what I know is, is not going to be beneficial for me, even though everything in my my own body and mind says, no, you need to say what you need to say because what's important is that you're right. And so another uh, phrase that was rolling around after this when I was talking um, to some others was, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And often when we're, we emphasize being right, then we give up our own happiness. We, we sacrifice it. Say so what's important is for, for me to express my view and opinion and for others to know that their view and opinion is either wrong or that they agree with me. And that's that's what matters. And so that's the you know why why the, the Buddha really actually emphasized the, the dukkha that arises out of out of having these opinions holding on to them, sort of cherishing them, harping on them, keeping them, and not 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 really giving them up. And so again, when we're emphasizing learning, then we see like, okay, this is not this is not to my benefit. This is not for my my um, long term happiness. And so the trick is really is really how do we how do we catch ourselves before that? How do we really understand our own minds so that we see you know like. Um, like that that robot that uh, was it? I can't remember the name of the show. Lost in Space it was in Danger Will Robinson. So I think it was a show from the '60s, maybe. And so there, the, you know, this robot robot was sort of the super ego of this young boy, and it would it would warn him when there was danger. I think that's the only thing it said. Um, and so, you know, we want to have that in our own minds. We want to create that for ourselves. So we're, we're very aware, oh, this is red hot. This is something I don't want to touch. I need to let go of this. Because it's going, it's going to um, cause me the same dukkha that I've experienced in the past by engaging in it. And my own sense is that as the Dhamma arises in our minds more and more, then that just becomes more and more automatic. It's not just something we're reminding ourselves of, but it's like the mind pulls back. The, the Buddha talks about like a feather that is is going towards the fire. The feather just just uh, sort of as it burns, it it like shrivels back from the fire. And so when when we've really worked with these these qualities. 
then the 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 even the sense of of feeling anger uh, that as that arises, it's like oh, why would I want to engage in something so coarse? And so the mind curls back from it, and it it you know it it sees like all oh, right, harmony is better. Not expressing one's view in this moment, um, and it can just be an automatic because the the expression of anger is. Uh, yeah, it's it's not something that the Buddha really supported as ever being something that had had good to it, something that was wholesome in any way. So the yeah, the in general, just uh, it's encouragement to to kind of reflect about our our um, our sense of those things that we might not really be seeing that that we have uh, great opportunities to learn from. And um, trying to wake, awaken those in ourselves, so we can we can really see like when is it that I can have a, a, a movement towards the wholesome that is difficult to do right now because you know we might be seeking comfort, we might be seeking our own views and opinions, um, we might be cherishing <clears throat> just me and mine and what what what's important for me and. Uh, and so then we when we when we see that clearly we just have so many opportunities to 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 really learn from the dhamma so i think that's enough for tonight and uh thank you for for listening